Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. Good morning, everyone, and the curtain is up on Center Stage. Do I have a surprise for you today? When Betty Buckley was 11 years old, she went to see the musical The Pajama Game at the Casa Manana Summer Festival in Fort Worth, Texas. The song and Bob Fosse's indelible choreography reached out and grabbed that girl's soul. She left determined to learn the hit Steam Heat to perform for a talent show. When she started singing in that show, the judges asked her to sing a little louder. So she let go and blew them away. How did such a big voice come out of such a little girl? In 1969, that little girl came to New York City and in one day landed a major part in the musical 1776. The rest, ladies and gentlemen, is history. Her Tony Award-winning performer is Grisabella in Cats by Andrew Lloyd Webber, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, other musicals including Pippin, Promises, Promises, and The Mystery of Edwin Drood, film roles including Tender Mercies, Carrie, Lawrence Kasdan's Wyatt Earp, and two M. Night Shyamalan films, the first being The Happening and the soon-to-be-released Split. Her many television credits are almost eclipsed by her memorable, long-running role as Abby on Eight is Enough. And according to Seth Rudetsky, actor, writer, radio show host, and expert on Broadway history and trivia, his favorite singer in the history of Broadway is Betty Buckley. And more importantly, he said that she changed the face of Broadway belting. She could take a lot of weight up in that voice higher than most singers. She was unique. She was the voice of Broadway. And she doesn't stop. Whether she is singing, acting in television or film, or working her cutting horses on her Texas ranch, she is still in some way blazing a trail. And ladies and gentlemen, I feel there is a star that shines bright over Texas, and its name is Betty Buckley. Miss Buckley, welcome to Center Stage. My eminent songbird and star, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Pamela. That was such a beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I love it that you're here with us and taking the time out there in Texas. Um, So, in Texas, so you came to New York, you had this life, and now you're back in Texas, or did you always have a ranch, or is that your go-to place to to relax and and be at one? I grew up riding horses, and I always wanted to go off and be successful in show business so I could have a horse ranch, and Ah. I kind of forgot to do all that, and then after (laughs) 9-11, I woke up and thought, geez, I forgot to get my cutting horse, and I, I set about on this quest to find my horse, and I started working with one of the top trainers in the sport, uh, a guy named Bill Freeman, who's a real legend in in the cutting horse world. And he took me on as a student when I was 55 years old, which was great. You know, I thought maybe I was too old to do it, and he said, no, we can can do this, you can still ride. And So he taught me how to ride uh, cutting horses and helped me find my first cutting horse, a beautiful horse named Purple Badger. And so I bought the horse and for a year commuted from my apartment in New York to study with this teacher and ride my horse. And then I realized I needed to live where my horse lived. So I sold my New York apartment and bought this pretty little place here uh, in North Texas. It's about an hour west of Fort Worth. And I've lived here for 
14 years now, so it's been a real blessing. Oh, how wonderful for you. you it sounds like you're living your bliss. I am, actually. Yes, thank you. Was that you singing in that introduction? <laughs> yes, it was. That oh, was... my God, your voice is so extraordinary. It's thank you. awesome. <laughs> well, I'm talking to another extraordinary voice, one who knows. Um, oh. Yeah, that's me with the London Philharmonic and the Royal Opera House Choir, actually, uh, oh, in London. God, I don't even understand how you create a sound like that. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Ordinary. Believe me, I, I think what you do is a lot harder. Um, no, I wow. don't think so. I'm not, I don't think so. But anyway, thank you for saying that. You know, and that kind of brings me, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in eastern Oregon in, believe it or not, ranch land. I grew up with horses as well. Oh, and cool. I grew up with the beauty of, of the Blue Mountains. And, uh, you know, I knew when I was a kid, I just knew that I had a voice. Was that how it was for you? Yeah, it really was. Um, my I first sang in church when I was two, my mother tells me, and then I sang in the youth choir, and I taught myself to sing, listening to all the great lady singers that my mother had recordings of, you know, just imitating them, and she really? introduced me to the musical theater and had an extensive cast album collection, which kind of really, you know, made me feel very passionate about musical theater, and... Um, I realized when I was 11 and I went to see a pajama game that I, there was a place for me, girls with big voices. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been in the church choir and they, in the youth choir in elementary school, and they always put me on the back row and said, blend in, blend in. And <laughs> I, I was always very self-conscious because my voice had this kind of edge to it that didn't allow mm-hmm. it to blend very well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was so relieved when I realized there was a place for girls with big voices like me. Wow. And so you, I get the impression from your career and this trajectory you've laid out that you were fearless. Like even then, when you were so young, you realized there was a place for you. And New York was a long way away, you know? Yeah, it was funny because even before that, even before I was focused on the musical theater, when I was eight years old, they took me to the ice capades and I heard um, um, Rhapsody in Blue for the first time, and there was this beautiful ice skating duet to you know with all this blue light and everything on the in the ice capades and I heard that music um Rhapsody in Blue, and I just knew that i didn't that I belonged somewhere else, and that that wow. place was it was like that was New York City to me was Rhapsody in blue and then you know I just thought i I'm from there. That's where I'm from. You know, that's where oh. I'm meant to be. And I, you know, without knowing exactly what all that was, it was just a calling, definitely. Definitely. When I was 13, I had a vision. I was looking out over my, you know, we, we, my father had built this split-level house, and it, uh, the back of it, my bedroom was on the back on this balcony, and it looked over this West Texas plain and with a windmill, and I remember looking, listening to some music on my uh, record player and just feeling this sense of that one, who I was as a singer and that one day I would sound like this and my voice would make people feel like that, and I just knew that I would be on Broadway and that I would be a Broadway leading lady. I just had this very clear vision when I was 13. Oh, my gosh. And then when I was 35 and I did Cats on Broadway, they brought me the cast album recording of Memory, to hear in my dressing room. We had recorded it, and they brought me the final mix. And they played it for me in my dressing room, and I had that, the re- this return of that vision came to me. And I thought, oh, my God, I knew when I was 13 that I would be doing this, and then I was 35, and I thought, oh, 
now it, it took all these years, but here it is. Wow, I am getting a free song with that one. You and I are definitely soulmates. I used to do the same thing looking out over the Columbia River. (laughs) If we know there's a place for us, we have to pursue it. This is so Uh exciting. And so, so... You went to school. Well, actually, you were doing a lot of um, uh, work, you know, amateur dramatics and uh, musicals in Texas. Well, I actually and... became professional at uh, 15 at the Casamanana Summer Musicals. Ah. I played June and Gypsy, and then the following summer, when I, oh, I danced a West Side Story that summer when I was 15, and then I worked at Six Flags Over Texas when I was 16 and 17, singing in the Campus Review and the Crazy Horse Saloon. So I was working professionally as a singer, and then... When I was 18, I played Ado Annie. I played Susan and Desert Song, Megan Brigadoon. Uh, I did quite a few shows, you know, by the time I graduated from college. And uh, this agent had signed me when I was a junior in college. And I told him I had to go back and finish school. <laughs> so I did. And he kept calling, saying, are you coming to New York? Are you coming to New York? And I had gone uh, the summer following my graduation from Texas Christian University uh, I majored in journalism because my father did not want me to be a theater. He didn't want me to be in theater. Mm-hmm. And my mother did. She'd been a singer-dancer, so there was a lot of conflict in our family about her giving me, you know, this passion for musical theater, my father saying no, no, no. And so that summer I went, after I graduated, I went on a USO tour to Korea and Japan with Miss America. And uh, we there were about six girls, and we sang in this review for um, all the, the military bases, right. all the U.S. soldiers in Korea and Japan, and um, all of the, the soldiers that had been injured that couldn't return stateside from the Vietnam War uh, were hospitalized in Japan. Mm-hmm. So we toured all those bases and hospitals, and we were supposed to go to Vietnam, but these performers were killed right before we went, so they detoured our trip to Korea and Japan, and so I saw the results of war when I was 21 and kind of lost my ambition. I was just like, oh, this is terrible, you know, because my father had been a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and um, I, I, you know, he raised us to believe in the righteousness of war and stuff, and I was Mm -hmm. a child of the 60s, and I no longer go along with his way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So um, I just kind of lost all my goals and went back to Fort Worth and went to work on the local paper um, that I had uh, worked on when I was in college. And this agent kept calling, kept calling, and convinced me to do this and come see this industrial show that he was doing in Dallas. And they called me up on stage and had me sing. And the buyer of the industrial show, which was B.F. Goodrich, put me in the show. And on the weekends, I would fly into San Francisco and Atlanta and Chicago, and the final stop was Philadelphia. So the same agent said, look, just train it into New York from Philadelphia, and I can get you another industrial show at the mm-hmm. or Gimbel's department store in New York, and you'll give it <laughs> six weeks and see how it goes. So since I had gainful employment, my father couldn't really say much about it. And <laughs> the only person in... Fort Worth that didn't want me to go was was my father, but my the newspaper where I worked said go go. Well, you know you can have your job if nothing works out when you come back home. And so wow. I went, and he I called and said yeah, I'm here, and he said you have an audition in 15 minutes downtown. Take your music and go. So I went 
see the American Theater Laboratory in downtown New York and auditioned. I was the last girl to audition on the last day of auditions for the musical 1776 mm-hmm. for the role of Martha Jefferson. And they said, you know, who are you? When I sang, I said, Eddie Lynn Buckley. And they said, where are you from? I said, Fort Worth, Texas. And they said, when did you get to town? I said, today. And they said, oh, my God, it's like a movie. It's like a movie. And <laughs> so they, they cast me in the show that day. And it was pretty great. Oh, my good Lord. This this is an incredible story. I heard also that, that you brought your dog along with you and you kind of hit him out in, in, yeah, in this women's... Yeah, my little women's... dog, uh, <laughs> uh, Jake, was my... I snuck him into the Barbizon Hotel for Women. I didn't wow. know how to dress for cold weather, you know, because it wasn't that cold in Texas. And sure. So, and I was in this show with 30 men and two women in our understudy, and it, it they taught me how to dress for cold weather, layering my clothes and wearing scarves and hats and stuff. And oh, my gosh. They taught me, you know, everything. Um, Howard DeSilva, who played Benjamin Franklin and John right. Adams, played by William Daniels, you know, and Paul Hecht, who played John Dickinson, said, you know, you're really great at this and this, but you need to learn this and this, and here are the schools you need to go study. And so I worked really hard. This is something else. What a story. I also read that um, while you were performing in 1776, you actually left the show one night after you'd sung, and you went back to re-audition for Promises, Promises. Yeah, and you I didn't get a call Promises, back. Promises, because I love Burt Backrack and Hal David uh-huh. music so much. I mean, they scored my life in college, you know? Right. And so I thought that score was beautiful, and I loved the movie The Apartment with Shirley MacLaine, and I knew I could play that girl because I'd had my first broken heart from my first love affair, and, you know, so I was the walking wounded in New York City, but starring on Broadway, which was pretty (laughs) hilarious. So I I thought, well, I have to play this role of Fran Kubelik, and they were auditioning. Promises was in New York while we were doing 1776, but they were doing the London Company, so my agent submitted me and I auditioned, but I blew the audition because I picked the hardest of the two songs to sing and I, I didn't really have it down. And So they didn't call me back and I was you know, so upset because I knew I could do a great job of it, but then I knew I'd blown the audition. So there was this very nice man, a very famous stage manager named Charlie Blackwell who um, was running the show in New York and was also you know, running the auditions for the London Company. And he was a very tall beautiful, noble black man. And so I, I, you know, my song was in the first half of 1776. So at the intermission, I got my dresser to take off my costume, which was no easy feat because it was that those lace dresses, of you know, course. all that lacing down mm-hmm. the back with the pannier dress from the 1700s. Oh, yeah. Of course. So she had to put it on and on me twice that night, and she wasn't happy about that because I had to get <laughs> it back on for the curtain call. So I said, you know, I'll be back, you know, just let me, you know, so I put on my jeans and I ran over to the Schubert Theater intermission and I knocked on the stage door in the Schubert Alley. And I said I needed to speak to Charlie Blackwell, so he came to the door and I said, Mr. Blackwell, my name is Betty Buckley, I auditioned for you and I blew my audition. And I burst into tears and I said, oh. I, can, I know I know, can play this part and I just, would you just talk to, I know I wasn't called back, but can you just talk to me about the role? Because if you do, just tell me, I, you know, I can, I can take direction and just I, I I know I can do this. Wow. And so he was moved by my <laughs> tearful speech, impassioned speech, and he said, okay, Saturday come between shows and the matinee, and we'll talk about it. So I went over there between shows, and he walked me through the scenes and talked me through the part. And 
it was very helpful, you know. And um, so then at the end of that session, I said, well, can I come to the callback? And he goes, well, we'll see. Just have your agent call on Monday. And so I called my agent, who's a very powerful agent, and I said, uh, I worked with Charlie Blackwell. You have to get me a call back. And he said, they don't want to see you, Betty. And I said, look, you're a really powerful guy. Pull in a favor. Get me the audition. And so he calls me back. He says, okay, I've got you the audition, but don't embarrass me. And I said, don't worry. You know, so I went back in, and again, I was the last girl to audition on that day. And uh, I went out, and I sang the other song. And then they kept me there and had me read the scenes. And then um, they, they thanked me, and I uh, went out. I was really happy because I you know, had done a really good job with the audition. And Charlie Blackwell came bursting through the side doors of the theater, picked me up, swung me around, and said, go back, go back, they're calling David Merrick. So I went back, and uh, Merrick came into the theater, and I repeated the audition. And at the end of that, uh, Burt Backrack, Neil uh, Simon, and Hal David, and Michael Bennett all came down the aisle and shook my hand at the corner of the stage. And then I was so excited. I, my feet barely touched the ground oh. as I walked to my agent's office over on 6th Avenue, and He'd left for the day, but I went to his assistant, Sheila, and said, you know, I, I did good. Tell Eric I did a good job. And so by the time I got back to the elevator, I heard these running feet down the <laughs> hall, and she grabs me at the elevator, and she says, Betty, Betty, they just called. You got the job. You're going to London. Wow. <laughs> so that was pretty great. You See, I said it, fearless. You are totally fearless. <laughs> and this well, is- my mother raised us all to believe that she used to say, Listen, all people can do, Betty Lynn, is say no. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's all they can do. So she said, don't take no for an answer. Just if you feel right about something, if you feel passionate about about something, just go for it and and convince them otherwise. And And you go, girl, and you did. (laughs) And this is a good message to everybody listening out there who's thinking about it. You know, I want to listen to you sing right now. You know, I want to listen to a bit of the greatness from one of your first recordings, Betty Buckley, 1967. Oh. This is this is your first professional recording that's just been no, released. It was, it was, T-Bone Burnett, who's a brilliant yeah. producer, he had, had his own recording studio from the time he was 17. And we grew up together in <laughs> Fort Worth. And when we were 19, our mothers got us together and said, you know, he, he was the engineer and recorded this archive tape. It was only ever meant to be an archive. And that voice is so young. It's so, so young. You know what, though, Betty? It's sophisticated, and your sense of timing is incredible. Let's listen here to C'est Magnifique. And there's that unique sound, that pointed sound that doesn't blend in with the chorus. Thank goodness you came to New York City, girl. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and T-Bone Burnett, you know, he's only the holder of uh, 13 Grammy Awards. Uh, you and know, an Oscar. He's, oh, yeah. He's we quite recorded a guy. an album together called Ghostlight several years ago. That's right. It was released. Um, it's my favorite album that I've done. It's so wow. beautiful. And he, it was really a pleasure to get to work with him. Oh, I can imagine. Now, I, I read that you said you had two major personal master classes for yourself. 
And one was playing Dixie in the film Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall, and the other was your performance in Cats. Is is this something you'd like to comment on? Yeah, that film was an amazing opportunity and wonderful movie, and I got to work with Robert Duvall and Wilford Brimley, and um, it was such a Ellen Barkin, and mm-hmm. it was a beautiful uh, film, mm. uh, screenplay by Horton Foote and directed by Bruce Beresford. It's an American classic, and it was the kind of role that I trained in acting school for so many years. My favorite actresses were Kim Stanley and Maureen Stapleton, Jenna Rollins, and mm-hmm. to you know get to do a part like that in a screenplay. That when I read the screenplay. Um, I, I wept. It was just so beautiful. And I'd yeah. been doing um, Eight is Enough for four years. Mm-hmm. And on one of my hiatuses, when I was in New York, I uh, did Getting My Together and Taking It on the Road on, on the theater in the square downtown, Circle in the Square downtown. And Fred Roos, who was a very f- a famous film producer that produced all of the Coppola movies, uh, and also one of the great casting minds in Hollywood, came to see me in getting my act together and he he called me after that and had me come to his office and said that I was on his list of actors that he thought I was a very good actor and he would see to it that I worked in film I'd done uh, one film Carrie and I'd done um, the TV show mm-hmm. so um, a year later he called me when I was back working on Eight is Enough and said um, I have a script by Horton Foote the great American playwright and they're looking for a, an act, a really good actress who can sing country western. And I gave them one name, go get the part. So they sent me the script, and then I went and met with Beresford, and he said, can you sing? And I said, yes. And he said, can you sing country western? And I said, yes. I grew up in Texas. And he said, can you act? And I said, yes. And he said, do you want this part? And I said, yes. <laughs> it was the greatest audition I ever had, but it was because I'd been so highly recommended by sure. Red Roos. It was a great opportunity to mm-hmm. work with Duvall. Duvall oh, a brilliant, wonderful. brilliant actor. Oh, yes, indeed. And then Cats. Moving on to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, Cats was an, a terrific opportunity to work with Trevor Nunn and Andrew mm-hmm. Lloyd Webber and Jillian, Jillian Lynn. Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a beautiful experience, all of us who were in the original Broadway cast of Cats. They're, you know, they're reviving it this summer, and everybody on that we're all buddies on Facebook, you know, uh-huh. like, are you going to be opening? And this summer I'll be doing Grey Gardens at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles, so Brilliant. I won't be able to be at the opening of the revival. But oh, it was an extraordinary time. We, you know, we were, it was an eight-week rehearsal process, and for four weeks uh, we were, like, on our hands and knees doing, uh, pretending to be cats, you know, <laughs> like doing improvisational theater games, and it bonded our company very closely, and then, um, you know, gradually we took all this observation work that we did as cats, cartoon cats, real cats, you know, and all the theater games. We then, you know, kind of took it to a standing position, but you're still in this kind of crouched cat posture, you know. And mm-hmm. it was quite mm-hmm. a process to go through. And um, um, then it you know, became Cats, the show. But I've never seen a version of it quite like the original Broadway version because we were so closely knit as a group um and to work with trevor Nunn was a huge blessing and then i got to work with him later in sunset boulevard uh, i did the london version there and also in new york for a year and so i've been directed by him three times wow 
Wow, this is terrific. Well, where are you now, Betty? What, what's happening with you now? I live in Texas on a little horse ranch mm-hmm. and um, west of Fort Worth, and I have a lot of rescue animals and three horses. Uh, I'm coming to the Ridgefield Playhouse on May 7th, Saturday, May 7th, to sing a concert with my brilliant pianist, Christian Jacob, who's been my MD and my arranger for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm teaching um, May 1st through 5th in New York City at the Terry Schreiber School, and then I'm have another concert in Portland um, later in May, and then I'm teaching in Denver June 1st through 5th, and then I go to uh, Los Angeles to start rehearsals with Michael Wilson directing in um, our version of Grey Gardens that we did last summer at the Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor. Wow. And we'll be there in Los Angeles all summer. Uh, the production starts Rachel York and me, and... Um, then I'm doing more concert work in September. I'm doing a week at Joe's Pub in the last week of mm-hmm. September and mm-hmm. some other concert work in New Jersey and um, Costa Mesa, California next fall. Golly, you do get around. I do my best. <laughs> you know, I've just got to read something that one of your co-stars, F. Murray Abraham, said about you when you were doing Triumph of Love. He says, there are moments when you're in the theater and the instance that someone makes an entrance, you know whether they are in the presence of greatness or not. They don't have to open their mouth. They carry that with them. When Betty Lynn appears at the top of the stairs, all you can do is hold your breath. It starts in greatness. It starts the moment they step on stage. You know, this this very much seems to sum you up, Betty, and your family. Wow, that's a beautiful quote. I love that. Have you not heard that one before? I haven't. Where did you find that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did my research, believe me. And he, he must have been a great colleague because he was that... A, I love him. He's such a great actor. I so enjoyed working with him. And I'm so sorry that show didn't last longer. But, you know, it, it's like Carrie the Musical. I mean, there are good things about it and some things that don't work, mm-hmm. you know. But, but, but you're giving back now, uh, giving all these wonderful master classes. Is this something you really enjoy? I do, yeah. I have... You know, I feel that every good thing I know how to do, every valuable thing I've done, you know, has been because of the great teachers I've studied with. I still study. Mm-hmm. You know, I work really hard with my teachers, and um, it's. I feel my job to... It's, there are tools that can be learned, you know, um, and those tools have made me the artist that I am. Absolutely. I mean, I was born with talent, but I, you know, it's about honing that talent and bringing it to another level. And you have. Uh, and and you so have. that's what I pass on are those same tools, and they work, and they're very life-transforming tools. So I'm, you know, I really love assisting uh, younger people with mm-hmm. burning passion for mm-hmm. theater and, and song and storytelling, and I love helping them achieve their full potential. Betty Buckley, we are out of time, and I'm so sorry because there is so much passion within you now. You know, whatever you're doing, whether you're on the ranch or whether you're dealing with young people and on the stage again, we've loved sharing with these last few minutes with you, and I so Thanks, appreciate Thanks, Pamela. It was a pleasure it. speaking with you, and lovely hearing you sing. I need <laughs> to hear you sing more. <laughs> My website, and um, I'll invite everybody to go on to yours, bettybuckley.com, and they can see your entire, um, uh, you, know, you know, a schedule of events. And everyone remember Richfield Playhouse, May 7. Betty Buckley, thank you so much for your generosity. And everyone, the curtain is down on center stage. What a smile. 
met a man who had no ear and a claim to fame Who was content to let life pass him for a while And I was sure that all I ever wanted Was a life like the movie 